When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to the Room 104 podcast with Cormac Moore and Sir Shalon. FM 104. Or night, or good night, as you say. At this stage, two minutes past eleven. It's Cormac and here on Room One Hundred Four. What is the story? Uh, just chatting there. A message we got sent in earlier on from a guy who we're calling Shane this evening. Wants to know should he call off his engagement to his now fiance partner of six years? Six years. Uh, a woman tried to trick me before making me think I was the father of her child. I wasn't. I was heartbroken. Kids aren't on my list. But if it happened, I'd be over the moon. See, that's very sad as well. And I'm sure that does happen. Mm. And I've heard of that happening as well. Mm, yeah. And then, of course, you create a bond with the child and then you're told that the child is not yours. And then it's all chaos. sorts of... Chaos. Chaos. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Chaos, chaos, chaos. Sorry about that. That happened to you. And I can't imagine that was an easy thing to go through. No, never. What would you say in this situation, though? Should he just walk or should um, he just walk away? Oh, it's seven six seven nine seven one four. Yeah. Let us know what the story is and sorry that message, yeah. Infant Keith, thank you for sending that on as well. But um what are we saying then to wrap up? I mean, if you're definite in what you want in life, don't change it for anyone. You know? As selfish as that sounds, you cannot be happy if you are living by someone else's. Maybe you should try maybe you should babysit yeah. or something for a week. Try try the hat on for a while and just see, you know. Don't knock but until you try the kind not, of thing. It's not a hobby. It's not. No, I know, oh, but you like should you pick up to... the guitar there and give it a go. And you might it actually is, uh, get a song and you might like the guitar. You might actually, yeah. You know when you want children. And it's a huge well, no, commitment. I, you, and I don't you, advise anyone to jump into that. that well, that's the thing because you don't really. You don't know what it's like. Well, of course you, you don't kids. know. Of course. And, and you I'm never not... will know. But you might get some yeah. sort of inclination if you do go. I know it can add a lot of stress to a relationship. A lot more than people might imagine. I, you know, the idea of a baby sounds lovely, you know, on paper. But the sleepless nights, if you're not willing to be a father, that's going to cause chaos. Then, you know, you might break up and that's causing more issues again. And it's it's not fair on the child. So the engagement's ruined is what we're saying, Shane. Your engagement is ruined. You should not be with each other anymore. Just call it off now. Walk away. Unless you're open to changing your mind as well. But other than that, doesn't sound like he is. But I definitely advise going to counselling. What would happen in this situation, though, if he broke up and then he, five years later, realised that, oh, we did want to have kids. But, you know, I've heard that happening with marriage. I've heard people in relationships of five, six, seven years Mm -hmm. feeling like it's going nowhere, broaching the subject. The guy in particular didn't want to get married, right? So they break up. And what happens? He's with someone six months and they're married. 
Uh, yeah, I was the way, isn't it? Yeah, that's pretty bad now. I just, I'm just not the married kind of type yeah. guy, whatever. And then six months later, he's just head over heels in love with somebody, and, and she's pregnant as well. And they're all families, <laughs> and she's just say bye. Oh, you? Yeah, what yeah. was it? Seven years? Ah, whatever. It doesn't matter. But look, I do believe that everything happens for a reason. I no, know. you I know, don't. I do, and yes, I don't mean that. In a, I don't mean that in an airy fairy way. I mean that you know. No, I do. I mean that uh, if you're not. Even though you're together six years, you had a great six years together, yeah? If he's not meant to be with you for the next six years, there's someone else out there that's even better than him. Maybe there is. And isn't. vice versa for but him. Ma- maybe there isn't. No, there is, though. No, but maybe you have to. Maybe all possibilities on the table here. Maybe there isn't. But you know, people talk about soulmates, right? Yeah. You, you meet your soulmate. You didn't meet your soulmate uh, who also lives two doors down from you or, yeah. you know, the other side of Dublin. Do you know what I mean? The world is big enough. There's many a soulmate for everyone. And now we don't really need soulmates. We just need roommates there's to be no able to afford the rent. There's, there's many ones for everyone. Yeah, that's I mean, what there's, I say. There's a, even if you're one in a billion, there's seven billion people, so there's seven thousand people out exactly. there. Exactly. Yeah. So just sleep around a little bit, see what's going on. No, but don't box yourself off and say this is the be and end all because it's not ever. She is evil. She is evil. Trying to change him. Evil. Uh, well, I wouldn't say she's evil, but yeah, maybe she is, Lucy. If she's known for a long time and she's only springing this up now because they're engaged and yeah. she probably feels more secure. Mm. Then she's evil, yeah. But I, I think if she just genuinely changed her mind, she's not evil. She changed her mind. We're allowed to change her mind. She's a witch. But you know, again, at the expense of your relationship, no, you can't. You cannot have two. You can't have your cake, and I don't know that saying. You can't have your cake and eat it. You can't, can't have your it? cake and eat it too. Why not? <laughs> I love eating cake. I know. You but have if you a eat cake, it, yeah, and then you eat it, so then you don't have it anymore. Can you eat a few slices though? And then put it back in the fridge. <laughs> I, I never knew how that went. I was like, hang on I a know, second. If you confusing. have a cake, you, you what, are you it. meant to look at it? Yeah. No, like, you, I want to have a Yeah, you can't. Ha- I think this is it. You can't have your cake <laughs> and eat it too. So you can't have a cake there and be like, oh, I have a cake. But, and then you can't eat it as well and have it. Because when you eat it, you don't have it anymore. It's gone. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> it's not very, not the clearest of things. Okay, wait, we got another message. You're basically saying you can't have everything at the same time that you want. Okay. Well, you can if it's yours. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Women in general are devious. Changed her mind when she got a ring. Yeah, no, that's what I feel, to be honest. Devious? I'm not saying women in general are devious. Oh, women are devious. I'm going to take huge offence to that. No, I am not devious. Nail on the head, man. I think you are. Nail on the head. No, that's a horrible... You cannot throw everyone under the same brush. That's the same with guys. Sweep everyone under the same brush, okay? Bloody hell, I can't speak today. No, but you can't. It's like me saying all guys are a-holes. They and are, though. They don't respect women. We know that. I have never, ever dealt with horrible... Di- okay, I have. Uh, for the most part, though, men in my life are very lovely. And, you know, I have a gentleman of a dad, of brothers and yeah. friends. So I don't think that. And, and yes, there's going to be a-hole men and there's going to be devious women. And you're just going to get all types. Can't, but it's not everyone. Can't be a greedy bastard. Is what? The cake means. <laughs> Fair Dave, thanks very much. Philosopher Dave knows what's going on. Uh, most lads are assholes. No, they're not. That's ah, actually not true. Uh, no, no they I, are. They I are. genuinely Just most lads you just don't know yet that they're assholes. Maybe that's you're, the you're case. You'll then find uh, out. You just have the wrong perception of them and then okay. it's like, oh, I, oh, okay, yeah. Okay. Well, I haven't come across many. I haven't. Hashtag not all men. No, absolutely not all men. Um, yeah. Okay, so final, final, final message to Shane as well. A lot of people are very angry about this girl <laughs> that he's with. He's a witch woman. If you are listening, uh, yeah, a lot of people are saying that um, run. 
run a mile. But I mean, at least she said it to you. There you go. So at least yeah. she didn't get herself pregnant and was like, surprise, we're yeah. having a baby. And he's like, <laughs> what? Damn it. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, in that regard, yeah. that's good. Now you have a decision to make. Going so. to have a long, hard look in the mirror this evening and yeah. go, ultimately, if this isn't the path I want to be on, you got to go. you got to go on a different path. Anyway, let's check in with our Sandwich World Cup, see how we're doing. The Room 104 Sandwich World Cup. Oh, it, it my is. nerves. It is the most important tournament of the summer. Forget about Euro 2020. It is the Room 104 Sandwich World Cup. We are trying to find the greatest sandwich in Dublin. We have had 24 teams taking part in the group stages. And this evening, groups E and F are currently taking place. There's 21 hours left on both of the matches. You can vote and help decide who's getting out of those groups. Gropes. Gropes. Who's groping each other in Twitter? <laughs> no, who's getting out of those groups over on Twitter? At FM104. It's a pinned tweet. So here in Group E, Pickles from Kimmage, their turkey special, Social Fabrics, Cajun Chicken Sandwich, the Window Box out in Rathfarnham's BLT, the Village Yard in Ballybrack, their triple toasty, triple cheese toasty. Currently, it is Social Fabric with 60% of the votes, topping Group E at the moment, and the Village Yard in Ballybrack is on 16%. So it's looking like Social Fabric and the Village Yard getting out of Group E going into the uh, qualifiers and the knockout stages, I should say next and then in group F we have munchies out in Baggett Street their monster munchie sandwich Muse out in Black Rocks pigs in blankets and then Meltdown's Mac Mama Toasty with BB's ham and cheese in there as well and Meltdown has got 52% of the votes in there as well so they are topping group F look like they're going to make it out comfortably from from the group into the knockout stages and Munchies in there in a close tie for second place but they're not tied for second place they're in second place and then Muse 15% and BB's 11% so Meltdown and Munchies seem to be doing well it's all very 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 exciting now there's a yeah there's a lot of um, a lot of votes if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers with Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC your lip look whether it's subtle or bold can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today that's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What's going on to them? Mm. Yeah. I, really, I really hope the village yard get through. So it's the village yard are on 16, pickles out and Kimmage are on 14. So it is neck and neck for the second place in group it E to see who will go through. There is less than 24 hours. These votes will, will end tomorrow evening around 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock. And then we will have our final uh, 16 to go through to the knockout stages. So if you want to vote for Pickle Social Fabric, Window Box, Village Yard, or if you want to go for Munchies, their Monster Munchie Muse, Meltdown, BBs, head on over to our Twitter. It's at FM104 and you can help make a decision and then the knockout stages will commence very soon. They'll commence tomorrow night. We'll have to do the draw and see who gets who. Um, yeah. And then the head-to-heads will be happening. We'll be see, see what happens then. It'll there's, get really serious. a good indicator on who could be in the final Yep. Just judging by the results of some of the matches now. Uh, yeah, one four seven Delhi seems to be the crowd favourite at the moment. Very much so, yeah. And then Social Fabric seem to be doing very well as well and uh, a few others. So listen, if you want to get involved, have a bit of crack, have your say, make your remark at FM104. That's where the Twitter page is and uh, that's where the tournament is kicking off at the moment. Anyway, so do that and then tomorrow night we'll have the final qualifiers into the knockout stages. Uh, still to come on the show, how ketamine... And laughing gas are very, very effective at treating depression. And the gentleman who's trying to find alien life forms out in the middle of nowhere, he'll be on telling us what we should do if and when we do come into contact with alien life. That's on the way shortly. New Irish music from Anim. This is Count to Ten. It's F1. You're listening to the Room 104 podcast with Cormac Moore and Sir Long. FM 104. It's Cormac and Saoirse here. Good evening. Hope you're well. Now, how could laughing gas treat depression. Now I know that sounds a little odd or a little strange, maybe even a little naive or weird, but a new study to come out of the University of Chicago Medicine and Washington University has shown some interesting and very positive results using nitrous oxide, which is better known to you and I as laughing gas when it comes to treating certain forms of depression. Now to explain a little bit more about the study, about the results, about the findings, we're delighted to welcome on someone who's directly involved with the research. He's from the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioural Neuroscience and we're delighted to welcome to the show now this evening, Professor Peter Nagale, sir. How are you? All right. So can you just talk us through what exactly is laughing gas? Sure. Um, so laughing gas is it's actually a very simple molecule. Chemically speaking, it's N2O. It's the oldest um, anesthetic gas in use. Um, you know, folks, uh, to be honest, the, the first and the name um, laughing gas came from the discovery um, that was made in England, uh, I think in the 1750s, 1760s by Priestley. And then for 50, 60 years, it became a recreational drug where, you know, they manufactured chemically uh, nitrous oxide, inhaled it, and people started giggling. And that was, that was, you know, there was no medical use for probably 50, 60 years. And they realized it had a euphoric effect, you know, that made people giggle. One caveat is, you know, people, you know, put this into a balloon. This is also how it's still recreationally used, um, but there's no other gas, right? There's no oxygen, no nothing. And so the effects of the recreational 
may also be a little bit due to the hypoxia, so low oxygen level. And, and is it true, obviously, you, you can technically, as you said, if you're constantly inhaling just straight gas from a balloon, I'm sure you can pass out or worse still. Absolutely. And that's that's actually the, you know, in the UK, it is widely abused, you know, nitrous oxide because it's sort of an easy access sort of uh, drug. You It's in, in, in a whipped cream, right? That's the, the gas in whipped cream is is nitrous oxide. To, to be honest, any gas other than oxygen that you inhale, you know, for a minute will make you pass out, right? So it's really those two effects. And so nitrous has an effect and also, you know, well, the absence of oxygen. Uh, but going back to your question, nitrous per se is used in medicine, in uh, classical, especially in the United States, in dentistry. So you have a dental procedure, you get a you know a nasal mask, and it it has two wanted effects. One is it's actually a decent uh, a pain control drug. So it has this effect; it it reduces pain and it keeps you calm and quiet. So we call it sedation. Those two effects are wanted in modern anesthesia practice in the operating room. We sometimes use it, but to be honest, the I would say it has gone down the use in the operating room as nitrous. And then in labor and delivery, you know, uh, pain during childbirth, it's also used to inhale, you know, to be 50% nitrous, 50% oxygen for pain control. I take it those videos of the viral videos you see of people coming out of the dentist and they've no idea where they are and they're all very hilarious and they're funny. Is that the impact of nitrous oxide or something else? It's not metabolized in the body. So typically it leaves the body in five to 10 minutes. So it, it, it's often something else uh, because, you know, in, I would say in modern medical practice, you rarely give one drug alone, right? And if you have a complicated, you know, a procedure, then, you know, um, they may get something else too that's more longer acting. Um, for instance, something that acts um, against um, anxiety because, you know, nitrous does not lower your anxiety. If you go to the dentist and really nervous, this when you give, for instance, benzodiazepines, you know, that there will be mm. a class of drugs, um, so midazolam or, you know, so that, but they act over hours. And then what exactly is the link between depression? Well, that's the core of the question, right? Uh, because it's really kind of an out of the field in a way discovery. But let me ask you, have you heard about really the somewhat miracle uh, discovery of ketamine and depression? Have you heard of this? So yeah. ketamine is an anesthetic drug. It was developed in 1970, in the 1970s, and it's actually related somewhat to LSD, but it's more related to PCP. So it's a drug of abuse. And it was developed, so you give it, and the patients react to ketamine completely different to virtually any other anesthetic. Um, and so it has, ketamine has a, a few side effects, but in the 1990s, early 2000s, it was discovered that ketamine can help patients with severe depression, like virtually in, instantaneously. Uh, normally, if you're depressed, let's say you, you, you enter really bad period of depression, right? You say, I need to see a doctor or a psychologist. You go to a psychiatrist and you're diagnosed with severe depression, right? Then you put on a standard antidepressant, but um, they take often weeks to really fully um, improve your depression. So it's a small step every day, right? But it may take a month for, for, for you to get out of depression. With ketamine, the discovery was this happens in, in, in less than, in just a few hours. So for someone, you know, you can have now, this is the first time that honestly medicine had um, a drug that can help patients with severe depression virtually instantaneously. And so this was a, a major, major discovery. Now, ketamine has a lot of side effects, but I've worked with nitrous 
like about starting 20 years ago, because I was interested in like, how does it work in the brain, right? And it turns out that nitrous and ketamine share a similar mechanism of action um, in sort of on the, what we call the molecular level. And that was like connecting the dots is like, well, if ketamine works through this mechanism and is an antidepressant and nitrous has the same molecular mechanism or similar, then it should also be an antidepressant. So that was really the, I would say, the um, the origin of the idea. And then obviously this, re- this recent study has shown some positive um, results from treating depression with laughing gas or nitrous oxide. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, the study itself and some of the results? So, you know, the uh, the one important, I would say, um, aspect of the study is we're talking about really severely depressed patients. So it's not just severe. Um, there's also, um, I would say, one in four, one in five patients don't respond to the antidepressant treatment, right? They're putting on, putting on, on Prozac or, you know, some other, and it just doesn't work. And that um, a second drug or a third drug is tried and it doesn't work, you know. So we have had in, in our initial study and in this study, some patients who have failed eight to 10 treatments, different drugs, failed everything, right? So very severely depressed and uh, what's, what's and this is called treatment-resistant dep- uh, depression. And ketamine actually works in, in that subset. So that's really the, I would consider the most severe form of depression because it's first of all severe and also resistant to a lot of drugs. And so nitrous, we tested nitrous in the same cohort, severely depressed and treatment resistant. And what we tried in this study is to compare a concentration of nitrous oxide in in oxygen that is somewhat similar to what would be used in dentistry. So 50-50, but also a much lower dose, 25% nitrous oxide and the rest oxygen. And we wanted to answer three questions. First, is it effective, the lower dose? Second, does the lower dose reduce side effects? What is a common side effect? Um, is feeling nauseated. That's actually not uncommon. You put it on and, and having a little bit of vertigo. So nothing bad, but it's uncomfortable. And the third was, we actually didn't really know how long the effects would last. So if you inhale nitrous, you know, what we call the sedation, right? The, uh, that you feel tired. That effect actually depends on the presence of nitrous oxide in your brain. You turn it off and you're you're basically completely back to normal, right? But the antidepressant effect lasts and we just didn't know how long. And what we found that is it would last for sometimes more than two weeks. So you, even after you've turned it off, it, it, will, it will linger. And that's a huge benefit, right? One single treatment, and then you have two weeks of, of improvement if it works. And is there any um, side effects in terms of people becoming addicted to it? As in, you know, they want that high of that feeling of maybe... You don't get high um, of with 25 or 50. You, you don't. And there's no laughing. There's no euphoria. You know what the typical, if, if, I, if we were allowed to film... The typical response if someone is in a in a chair in a hospital bed uh, would be they kind of they look asleep they are mildly that's that's the typical response you know patients are quiet they inhale it you would not see any difference they are not high at all you know and because it's also too low a concentration to be honest uh, to to really get high and and as I said you don't inhale a hundred percent of of nitrous which may sort of augment the whole thing. And and what was the, I suppose, the measure? Was it just self-reported feedback from the patients that they were like, actually... You're asking very good questions, I have to tell you, you know. <laughs> um, no, 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 no. Um, because I've spoken with reporters a lot um, and you can tell sometimes, you know, and I just read the, the, the headline. Um, no, there is, um, there are formal ways uh, to measure 
um, like the severity of depression. And psychiatry has developed um, so-called scales. And you go through a battery of 17 or 20 questions. Um, and each question is, for instance, did, are you, do you currently think about uh, killing yourself, right? Either zero would be, no, I don't. And four would be, I actually plan a, on killing me, you know, and myself, right? Or have these suicidal thoughts. Second, do you feel depressed? Zero is no. And four is like really uh, depressed. And it goes through a lot of different, you know, what's called domains, guilt, um, sleep, um, you know, and so, um, and then you basically sum up the points and get a measure um, of severity. What What is like on the, what one classical scale is called Hamilton scale, and anything above 21 points is uh, very severely depressed. Anything below seven, you're not depressed um, at that moment, right? So that can change. And so we repeated this, this instrument multiple times, right? At baseline and at regular intervals. So it's 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 a very valid, it has been validated, you know, in millions of patients. So it's not self-reported. It's really an interview. And have you thought of maybe using this for patients that don't suffer with mental health issues? So I'm, I'm, I'm probably not really qualified to answer this. You're talking more like, you know, like some sort of prevention. Again, from my own vantage point, I would think that the use of nitrous, like ketamine, should be reserved for patients where there's no other option. You know, and that's and that's actually a, a, still a large enough uh, a number of patients. And then also, if you want very rapid improvement, right? And uh, I give an example. We have a study right now in the emergency room. Um, you would not believe at any given time how many patients that come to the emergency room because they have thoughts about suicide. You know, and for these patients, you know, there is there's actually very little that helps them in that moment, you know? And so we are we are going into the emergency department, you know, with our partners and, and try to treat these patients and improve them like in the moment. And the, with the idea to, to stabilize their mood and, um, and really help them, right? Before more longer acting uh, treatment, you know, comes on. If you've just tuned in, we're chatting to Professor Peter Nagale about uh, his study, which looked at the impact of laughing gas or nitrous oxide to treat uh, depression. So is this yet to become a standardized treatment? How far away is it from becoming, uh, you know, kind of like ketamine as well? I'm sure it's, is it years down the line before it becomes a standard therapeutic intervention? It's another good question. Um, so, and there are two two aspects or two layers to this. First, uh, the sample size, what we call, you know, and it was small. So this was a small study and typically small studies are done to to evaluate like initial, is it effective? What are the side effects? You know, basically sees there's, is there a signal? And to basically refine also the dose. That is that is now done. And, and what typically comes next, it would be a phase three trial. Phase three trial means a definitive study in a large enough uh, group of patients, very diverse, ideally international, multi-center, where you test this in much closer to real world, um, you know, um, scenarios or settings. So that needs to be done. On the other hand, and this is the second layer, ketamine has been used probably what we call off-label for at least 10 years prior to its being approved by the FDA um, in the United States. And it is used sort of as an intranasal spray. So sort of medical doctors are allowed to use approved drugs in what's called an off-label indication 
if they if they have a strong belief or you know a hunch that it may work for a different condition. So in this case, there, it's absolutely legal to um, and you know maybe to some degree advisable to to st- sort of start thinking in a controlled setting. How can we um, you know roll this out? This is actually something we're trying uh, to do here in our clinic. Fascinating. I think anything that can help um, in this area is well needed. I agree. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so there's a, there's a ton of information out there uh, at the moment. Um, and yeah, there's a huge amount of potentially really promising stuff coming out of the area of not only ketamine for treatment, but also uh, nitrous oxide. Uh, listen, we'll, we'll, we'll let you go. We'll wrap it up there. Thanks a million for popping on FM 104 this evening. And who knows, we may be chatting to you in the future again. But Professor Peter Nagale, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to the Room 104 podcast with Cormac Moore and Saoirse Long. FM 104. It's Cormac and Saoirse here. Now, there are groups of people all over the world who are searching, actively searching for extraterrestrial signs of intelligent life. Now, they're not crackpots or nutjobs or conspiracy theorists. They are qualified, highly educated scientists who are using sophisticated radio telescope technology to try and find legitimate messages from deep parts of the universe. It's not looking at dodgy frisbees and going, there it is. It's actually looking deep into the universe and trying to figure out with a huge degree of certainty, is this a signal from uh, an intelligent civilization somewhere far across the world? Now, to help explain a little bit more to you about SETI, about these extraterrestrial signals, when is it a good signal? When is it absolute noise and it doesn't matter? As uh, a gentleman who is a, a professor of uh, astrophysics, he is also on the, uh, he's the vice chair of the International Academy of Astronautics, the SETI permanent committee. Um, and he's here to talk about how he also helped to set up some of the international protocols for determining whether or not this signal is legit or not. Delighted to welcome to the show Professor Michael Barretter. How are you? Hi, um, very well, thank you. Michael, this is a really interesting area and it's something I know nothing about, uh, bar science fiction movies, of course. And like Cormac said, a lot of people think this is just nonsense, that there's no nothing else out there. But you obviously have concrete evidence and you're studying this. What, what can you tell us? Well, it's, it's interesting that you say that people might think that there's nothing out there. I mean, you know, the universe is so big and there's so many other stars. We know nowadays that nearly every star has planets. So, you know, there's just a countless number of, of other worlds where life could arise and potentially intelligent life could arise. So, um, you know, there are, there are many places where the conditions will be just, just as they were on the Earth when life arose here four billion years ago. So, so to think that life would only arise here and, and nowhere else in the Milky Way galaxy, never mind that the rest of the universe doesn't seem to be reasonable to me. I think there's a there's a there's a significant chance that intelligent life and certainly simple life has arisen um, and and will arise in the future in the in in the universe. And we have the tools like radio telescopes, but not just radio telescopes, other telescopes working at other wavelengths to actually go and and ask that question: Are there things that we see out there which can't really be explained by sort of normal physics and, and astrophysics. When we're talking about these uh, radio telescopes, what would you have to see and what would the signal have to either look like or sound like for you to go with a certain degree of certainty that this possibly might be from an intelligent civilization? So the, one of the nice things is that, you know, the kind of 
stuff that we do here on this planet, or, you know, the, the, the sort of stuff that we are doing right at this moment. So we're communicating using radio waves, we're using Wi-Fi, for example, in, in my home here. That has a signature which is completely different from natural radio signals. So we also have radio signals coming from planets and stars and galaxies and black holes and all the rest of it. But the stuff that we use to communicate is, is rather different from that. So it, we're normally using just specific frequencies. So the signals are sort of very narrow. They're confined just to a sort of few frequency channels and they maybe even move about in their frequency. That's how you convey information. That's what FM is, frequency modulation. You're changing the, the frequency of the of the signal that you, you're sending out when you make this broadcast, for example, and that's decoded by all sorts of different devices. Um, so the, the signal that we're looking for is really artificial in nature. It looks completely different from all the natural signals that, that we see. So they're quite easy to distinguish, and that's the kind of thing that we are looking for. Things that just don't, are, are not, you, you can't explain them by normal physics and astrophysics. It has to be produced by technology, by, you know, an intelligent mind. And um, Then what are good or bad signals? Well, I don't, I don't know. Any, any signal that's our artificial would be good. So what we would be looking for is, for example, a very narrow band signal, radio signal. So not not a signal that covers many, many frequencies, but just a very powerful signal that's confined to a small part of the radio spectrum. We might expect to see the frequency of that signal change. Um, we would expect it to change because ourselves, we're on a planet that rotates and they might be on a planet that rotates. And because there's a sort of, there's a difference in velocity that's always changing between our planet and say their planet, then that introduces the Doppler effect, which is the effect you have, you know, when an ambulance goes by you, you hear mm. the pitch of the sound changing as it comes towards you and then when it goes away from you. Well, the same thing happens for, for radio waves and in fact, any kind of waves, light waves as well. Um, so we're looking for narrowband signals confined to a few frequency channels, but also looking for those frequency channels to sort of change in a sort of linear fashion in a kind of slow way, the frequency either increasing as time goes on or decreasing as time goes on. That's what we're looking for. So those would be the main characteristics, but we might also look for pulsing signals, so signals that are changing in their intensity. That's one way of conveying information in the radio world that's called AM. So amplitude modulation, changing the power of a signal conveys information. It sends ones and zeros. So it sends a digital signal that can be decoded down the line somewhere by another receiver. Um, or the frequency modulation where you change the frequency rapidly, the FM radio. So so those are the kind of things that we'd be looking for. That would be a good signal. Um, that would be a, a signal that we would think, well, wow, you can't produce that from a star or a planet. That must really have an intelligent mind behind that must have you know a technical civilization yeah. that knows how to communicate behind it so um if there's any other alien civilizations listening to us you can get in touch right now because we're not only doing our show we're pumping out some signals to the rest of the uh, the universe uh, professor have we ever had any uh, signals that suggested it might be coming from an intelligent civilization. I, I don't really think so so far. I mean, there's a there's a very popular signal from the the late 1970s called the Wow signal. But to be honest, 
you know, compared to what we can do nowadays, I don't think that's a very convincing signal at all. Uh, most recently, there's there's a signal that was a candidate for, for, for a SETI signal, but after quite some work by a team in California, the Breakthrough Listen group, um, they kind of concluded that this was actually a, a signal created by, by humankind, so a signal nearby. But it had many of the characteristics that we expect from a SETI signal. But when people looked at it sort of really carefully, they, they kind of worked out that this was actually something coming probably very close by from <laughs> not, not a few hundred light years, but maybe a few hundred kilometers <laughs> or so. So I don't think there's been ever a convincing, no convincing evidence yet, but you know, we've only just started looking and our technology gets better and better. So I think it's very worthwhile to do this because I think the important, the question is really important. I think people find it interesting. You don't have to be a professor or a scientist to find it interesting. Everyone finds it interesting and everyone has a valid opinion on the topic because, you know, we don't know what the answer is. That's the thing. Like, what do you yourself think is out there? Well, I don't know. Sometimes I wake up and I'm quite positive. And then sometimes, you know, on another day, I'll, I'll wake up and I've changed my mind. I'm a bit more negative. So I kind of swing between the, the sort of two areas. Um, I mean, deep down, I really hope that there's something out there because I think it's incredible to think that there would be, you know, another intelligent civilization that would be, you know, just incredible to work out, you know, what do they look like? You know, do they do they use the language the same as us? Do they have two eyes, two legs? Do they love each other? Do they, do they play ball games like football, for example? Do they have music? Do they have literature? All those kind of questions. It would be, presumably, they'd be quite different from us. They might be quite similar, but it's just an intriguing question to know what another really intelligent civilization would look look like. What would they what would they do? And what could they contribute to us? What what would be their knowledge base? They they probably many, many years ahead of us um, because we've only been a technical civilization really for the last hundred years. So, you know, randomly, they're probably maybe a thousand years ahead. They, their technology might be quite mind-blowing to us and actually what they know about the universe might blow our minds as well. If you have uh, just tuned in, we're chatting to Professor uh, Michael Garrett, who is the Vice Chair of the International Academy of Astronautics, their SETI uh, SETI Permanent Committee who is using radio telescopes and a lot of other complicated, sophisticated devices to try and detect signals from alien life forms that might be out there or might have been out there at some stage. Um, Professor, if we woke up tomorrow morning and it was a confirmed signal that we could decode and it turns out there was alien life somewhere in a, dist- a distant galaxy somewhere, how do you think how do you think the world would react? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I, I mean, a lot of people think, you know, people would go hysterical in, in some way and be really worried and, um, you know, be thinking, you know, because we have all these movies where, you know, aliens come and visit and typically they don't end very well for anyone. Mm. So, so people might be quite frightened initially, but I think actually we would, we would probably get used to the idea. It's, you know, if you, if you look at, you know, at least certainly from a physics perspective, you know, chances are that there must be something out there, even in our, in our own galaxy, there's probably something there. So I think people would soon, you know, become sort of pretty used to the idea. Uh, I don't think, I mean, people sometimes say, you know, if we discovered extraterrestrial life, then, oh my goodness, what would happen to the church and religion and all the rest of it? I, I mean, if I look at religions, I think they're incredibly flexible and, and they can, you know, change their story to fit <laughs> but the evidence is, as far as I can see. So I don't think anyone would have a problem with it, but maybe it would be, be, be kind of shocking news for the first few weeks. And then I think people would sort of calm down and sort of forget about it. 
Um, of course, if they were able to actually send us information, you know, if we could download their internet, for example, then I think it'd be probably pretty sensational. We, you know, we would we'd learn a lot of things, um, and it, it might transform, you know, all the problems that we have at the moment. They've probably gone through all those things like global warming, like COVID nineteen, like all the things that are kind of coming up. Um, they've probably gone through those, so we would we would learn a great deal from real communication. Um, with them. I'm just wondering, will it happen in our lifetime? Well, you know, all I can say is that, you know, just like the technology, you know, like your, your your mobile phone, if you think how, you know, phones have, you know, sort of advanced over even the last 10 years, for example, yeah, it's the same is true in astronomy, because astronomy is basically using all this kind of technology that, that we are using. So we see the same advances. So the SETI sort of surveys that we do today are probably, you know, you know, you know, a thousand or 10,000 times better than the surveys that were, were being done five years ago. So, you know, we're making huge progress, you know, exponential progress, if you like, in terms of the advancement of our instruments and what we can do and how sensitive we are. Um, so, you know, we for all we know, we might just be on the cusp of that discovery. We don't know. We don't know how good we have to be to be able to detect these signals. They are going to be very faint because extraterrestrials are probably very far away from us. But, you know, the technology and the capability of the technology is just advancing so incredibly well at the moment that, you know, every year we, we're probably sort of, you know, um, we double our chances of making a detection every every year. Things get better and better in terms of our capabilities. If someone wants to get involved with SETI or learn a little bit more about this, because I said it's the only, I think, legitimate search um, for extraterrestrial intelligence that's out there at the moment. Anywhere you'd recommend they kind of start their journey into SETI? Um, well, the SETI Institute, for example, um, you know, if you just, if you Google SETI, you'll, you'll come up with the SETI Institute, which is a sort of institute in the US that's sort of dedicated to searching for life in, in, in the universe. Um, there's also the, the SETI group at, at Berkeley, also in California in the United States and the Breakthrough Listen uh, Foundation uh, is also doing a lot of work in SETI and you know also in Ireland you know where you are at the moment um, there, there are many people engaged uh, in that Evan Keane um, who's in Dublin for example he's just he's just started in Ireland he's very keen on SETI uh, and Peter Gallagher also in Dublin. Um, these guys are also interested in doing a lot of interesting work on that. So um, you can find a lot of information sort of <laughs> across the ocean, but you can also, um, in your case, you can find a lot of information right on your back door. And then just to jump in, one last question before we go. You've probably seen the last couple of days, or last week, I think the, the US government have released their official report looking into this uh, supposed alien footage that was released a couple of years ago. But when you see things like that, you know, from the military or from the Navy, and videos of, of these things that are just flying around and can't be explained. What's your initial thought? Are you like aliens or is it just a tech we don't know about yet? I, I, I don't even know if any of it's real, to be honest. You know, there's 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 all sorts of ways that the, these sensors are not designed. The sensors that are on uh, military aircraft are not designed to be able to track, you know, um, you know, those kind of objects, artificial objects. They, they, they're looking for a certain thing. The whole sensor system on these on these aircraft is prone to pick up things and to lose track of them and then to regain track of them so that it appears as though they're going incredibly fast. Uh, I, I don't think the evidence is very good. I don't think the analysis is very good from the Pentagon. 
That's partly because there really isn't very much information from those images that you can use to say anything concrete about you know what what you're seeing. So to be honest, I think it's a lot of hype at the moment. And I know ufologists and people that are interested in UFOs are, are kind of making the most of it. But I find it really unconvincing evidence, I have to say. Um, and the report, if you have a look at the report, reports online just published on June 25th, you know, there's really hardly anything to it. I think it's really disappointing. I was hoping for something that would be much more interesting than, than it actually is. No aliens just yet. But listen, um, Professor Michael Garrett, thanks a million for popping on. Um, and thanks a million for uh, explaining um, everyone that's even very best of luck with filing, finding uh alien signals, legitimate alien signals in the future. Thanks so many for popping on FM104. Okay, it was my pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to the Room 104 Podcast with Cormac Moore and Sir Shalong. FM104. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.